Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I know you're all fucking jacked, because this month the pod is caged. (laughs) I wanted to do uncaged, but that would be the antithesis of what we're doing. Uh, This month, all Nick Cage dandies. Speaking of dandies, joined as always by my friend and co-host as we... (laughs) Jaunt into the bottom of a bottle and maybe never crawl back out. <laughs> Alex Dandino, a prickly yeah. pear. <laughs> a prickly pear. Oh, my God. What's the one about potatoes? Oh. He has a great potato life. <laughs> he has so many. Oh, God. All right. We just got to get into this. <laughs> All right. So in maybe uh, the most burying the lead decision of my entire life. <laughs> We're deciding to kick off our mega Nick Cage month, uh, which does include leaving Las Vegas, raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, and Con Air. Uh, we decided to pick easily the least fun Nicolas Cage movie of oh, all time. Yeah, without question. We'll also be seeing Mandy live in the theater this week. Yep. Uh, we'll be doing a, a review this week for Mandy. And who knows? Maybe we'll throw in some bonus Cage just because... The greatest living actor deserves such accolade. He really, truly uh, is, especially based on what we're what we watched and what we're about to watch. The range on this guy is unsettling. It's <laughs> I don't really know where to start. Let me start with this. This is a quick testimonial, I suppose. I had actually never seen this movie. This is a rare for us. This is a movie I saw. I saw this back in college, and I honestly am just shocked that this is the first movie I think on the lists that I've seen and you haven't. Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of movies. I'm really into the Oscars every year, so you'd think this would have been it, but I was about 12 when this came out, so I missed it during Oscar buzz, and it just, honestly, I was busy watching the more... um, the more insane Nick Cage movies, I would say. Yeah, somehow I just missed this. And as your IMD being, you always forget how many movies Nicolas Cage has done. So I'm not surprised that I had missed one. Sure. What I am surprised is that I had missed the one he won an Oscar yeah, for. Yeah, this is the only one he won an Oscar for. And I think Nicolas Cage, I, I really, I, I do mean All it right, when well, I here, say All right, well, here, let's do this. So this was the, the 1996 Academy Award for Best Actor, right? Yes. Anthony Hopkins and Nixon. Eh. Eh. Richard Dreyfus and Mr. Holland's Opus. Are you fucking kidding me? Hmm, weak year, huh? <laughs> yeah. Massimo Troy- Troisi? Yeah, is that the guy for... Um, for the Postman. Postman, yeah. Nicolas Cage and then Sean Penn and Dead Men Walking. I right. mean... It was, it, was a pretty this, we- it was a pretty weak year, to be honest with you. But this is the crazy thing, dude. I forgot to take the snapshot of it. But when you're watching this movie, let me just get this out of the way first, too. We picked this because it's our Nicolas Cage month, but this should have been on the shoes on the other foot month. Because <laughs> Elizabeth Shue is the fucking shining star of this movie. Oh, yeah. The fact that she did not win the Oscar for this is fucking insane. Who was in her category that year? I'll Google it real quick. It it is a it was a fucking stacked class. I looked it up uh during the movie, actually, because I was just watching it, and as Nicolas Cage kind of descends into the routine of, oh, I'm throwing up, but I have a drink, and then I'm Nicolas Cage pretending to be a human. Yeah. As he starts getting into that phase of the film, Elizabeth Shue is just chewing him up. 
she has to give you all of the human emotion that his character is pulling back and not providing in this film. Right. It's it's pretty impressive. Like, she really does sort of... Because once he gets to Vegas, like, his fate's pretty much sealed. Like, there's really no... There's no turning back for Nicolas Cage's character in this movie. Woo! So... Wow. Almost immediately, you have to like assign Elizabeth Shue all the emotions for the movie because you already know what he's up to. Right. Okay. So, so this who's is, in the category? This is the at 1996 Best Actress. Like Nicolas Cage is far and away going to win that award, I feel For like. sure. Okay. Sharon Stone and Casino. All-timer. Okay. That's an all-timer. Yeah, one. definitely. Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking. Good. good. Sure. Yeah. Meryl Streep and Bridges of Madison County. Meryl's always... You know, as good as anyone. True. Emma Thompson, Sense and Sensibility. Not yeah. my thing, but, you know, very beloved. It's a classic Oscar bait. And know? then Elizabeth Shue. So to me, it should have been her and Stone in a dead heat. Right. It ended up being Susan Sarandon, right? I think so, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's- that to me is kind of insane because that movie has literally never shown up on another list in the history <laughs> of movies. Of like... Boy, best movie I've ever seen. Like, it was just a movie that occurred. And, like, like there's nothing... Yeah, Susan, Saran- Susan Sarandon won for Best Actress. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean Elizabeth Shue totally... Eli- Elizabeth Shue got... Well, not to be too direct with this movie, but she got fucked. <laughs> so, yes. so, let's... So, just on that... This is a weird Nicolas Cage movie for me on many reasons. One, this is the Nicolas Cage movie he wins his Oscar for. Right, But in maybe the only movie Nicolas Cage is ever in that I can think of, he is so dramatically upstaged yeah. by his, his counterpart. Well, he just and not, so... not that Elizabeth Shue is like outworking him or this and that. No, she just no. had the better role. Yeah, he just so often, he's doing one thing. Like, this is the crazy thing. Like, Nicolas Cage is a chameleon of an actor. He's done many different roles, many different things. There's many different sides to him, and this is the only movie I've ever seen him in, really, where he's doing like one thing exceptionally. Like, you know what's unusual about his weird. performance in this movie is it reminds me of Nicolas Cage constantly trying to repress himself back into what he thinks normal humans live. <laughs> it reminds me of when they say when Tarantino did that whole riff on Superman, right? Like Clark Kent is his indictment of us. Yeah. I think this movie is This is is this... Nicolas Cage's indictment of us. Like I just saw him on the Mandy red carpet and he's like full on like gold leather jacket, like leather pants with like eight million strings on the dick area. And I was like, he's not one of us. No. Like he... and so the movie is constantly him, you know, he like has to take this it's like a reverse Jekyll and Hyde, right? Yeah. He takes the drink and then he's like I'm ready for rice dinner. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh my god, that's what he thinks we are. Yeah, exactly. Are. That's that's one of my. That's like one of those telling, like, oh, Nicholas Cage is not of this world. It's the, <laughs> I am ready for rice dinner. Like, oh, you. This is how humans eat. Like, yeah, it's it's a strange. It's just it's a weird performance for him because essentially the role he has some really good moments though because I feel like we get lost a little bit in the oh I'm throwing up. Oh, I'm a normal guy who's kind of awkward. And then he has these, like, cartoonish outbursts. Yeah. But in the middle there, there are some moments where you see him shine through on a subtle level, which is easy to lose in this one. So, leaving Las Vegas, uh, this is – it's a weird movie because the first act of this movie (laughs) is essentially the Lost Weekend, right? Yeah. This is, like, the more – 
volatile Los Angeles version of the Lost Weekend. Right. So we see him dancing around, getting liquor, begging for money, uh, to which his friends, you know, don't waste it. Which, by the He's way, is Richard Lewis and Stephen Weber, which you're like, Whoa. yeah, the guy from Wings. Guy from Wings and Richard Lewis, you're like, wow. This movie littered with unbelievable cameos. Chock full. Chock full. But yeah, so right off the bat, what we see is this guy. I I don't know how to describe the opening better than it is kind of the de-glamoring of the kind of alcoholic lifestyle, right? So yeah. There's this there's a theory of oh we'll go to bars and it's parties and it's fun and we'll meet women. And the scene to me that's most telling in this, right? Like obviously the 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 hard cut from can I have some money like oh I'll pay you back in the morning scouts honor and you know Richard Lewis just like dude just lose my number. Yeah. Like I don't trust you this is it. He knows this guy's fucked up. Right. Nick Cage hard cut to the bar. I'll buy you a drink and I'll buy you a drink. And the scene when he goes over to the woman in the bar and is essentially trying to, now that he has the alcohol in his sister, he's trying to woo her, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to my house on the beach or my apartment on the beach. Let's go back. I'm amazing in the sack, right? He's like, he's pouring it on so thick and disgusting Yeah. that there's almost this sense, and you get this a lot, I think, in characters that have kind of substance abuse, especially like this. Is in a way he's, he's he's trying to seduce himself. Well, yeah, I think a lot of this movie, I mean, really just the first act. Like once you get past that, he's he's on the roller coaster down. But like this whole first act is Nicolas Cage convincing himself he can do what he's gonna do. So you're starting off with a pretty desperate like. You start off with him in the grocery store. Like, that whole thing in the grocery store, A, is, like, really funny because it's just Nicolas Cage being kind of goofy. And you're like, oh. But then it's juxtaposed with Richard Lewis scene, the bar scene, and then probably the most depressing thing I've ever seen, which is combined total of Nicolas Cage driving with a full bottle of vodka and, like, putting it down in front of the cop. But then the thing that, like, scares the shit out of me. You were mad at his white privilege? <laughs> No, he was just staring that cop down like I fucking dare you. <laughs> the thing that scares the shit out of me in that movie, and like that's where you realize, like, oh, this is definitely not like, oh, ha ha, Nicholas Cage is being a drunk asshole. Is he's at that titty bar with the weird band in the background, which I did not understand. Right. But he like shotguns a bottle of scotch, and like I don't like the look on his face of oh my god, I had to get this down or I was gonna get the like DTs. Like, yeah, that might be the most terrifying moment in this movie as far as like alcoholism is concerned, like his level of alcoholism, even that early in the movie, you're like, holy shit, like there is serious danger going on. And then eventually, once he gets to Vegas, we get to that. Right. And he leaves that bar and it the sound goes out as he kind of has hit. As the alcohol hits his system, the sound cuts out, which is a really lovely moment. Right. And so we see him kind of. It's almost a shell shock moment, right? Yeah. Like a bomb goes off for the audience. Like you said, like, oh, fuck. This isn't going to be like fun Nicolas Cage, like Arthur, right? This isn't going to be yeah. Arthur. This is not going to be this, Arthur. This is like the really in your face. You know, I, it's kind of, yeah, it's like Lost Weekend, Mulholland Drive cross up now where you're like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Um, And then he cuts to his car and is just screaming in pain or depression yeah. or rage. It's, it's a primal just, you know fuck you to the entire universe in silent. 
Yeah. And then we cut to this little cheap-ass motel. It's so funny, too, how many of these places I had been to or used to live by. <laughs> You're like, I remember the sadness of this place. Right, but, right. Uh, but uh, when he's getting the finger blowjob from the hooker, yeah. and she, you find out she sucks his wedding ring off, right? Yeah. His last little vestige, because he says to the hooker, did I drink because my wife left, or did I my wife leave because I drank? And you're like, right. so this is a guy who we're seeing, like, he's still trying to have friends and mooch off of them. Right. He's trying to, you know, live on this guy that he used to be in the bar, and he's trying to have fun with tits and hookers, you know, right. all classic hallmarks of life. And he's just unable to like the the glamour is just gone in all of yeah. this oh yeah no totally i, I mean, mean it's even... just it's stripping him down to just the barest most and that's why i like that scream right is that feels like the only true moment in right. that opening montage even the stuff that would seem maybe glamour like for instance he's so he's a screenwriter and his job at whatever i didn't know screenwriters got to work at companies like yeah, because they said stuff. he's a screenwriter, but he seemed like he was a lit agent. Yeah, there's a lot of that going <laughs> on. So it's kind of like if what what what, it, what the deal was. But there is this like strange thing. Like every once in a while, you get this, and this is like the amazing thing. And this is why I think Nicolas Cage gets the Oscar, not just because he's Nicolas Cage and can do anything, but like every I don't know, I want to say every 45 minutes, his character has like this resurfacing. Like he comes down off whatever binge he's on, and like for a split like thirty seconds, the real character of who that guy was surfaces. And like that first time it happens, he has like that scene in the um, his office where he's talking on the phone, and clearly the phone's upside down. And you're like, holy shit! And then he goes into the meeting. If he was even talking to anyone, right? Like, there's no, there's absolutely no reason. He's definitely not talking to anyone. And then he goes into the meeting where his boss tells him they're letting him go and they're firing him, and he hands him that check. And like that's where you get this like forty five seconds of the real character who when he like starts crying and says I'm sorry and oh, that's you know what though brutal there's a there's another thing they do in that moment that I love which is when he goes to dance with his secretary it's not this aggressive scary thing like it was in the bar yeah you see the sadness as she just like touches his face and is like that that guy is is dead in you yeah. Absolutely. And his boss even, it's not like a hardcore, you fucking cost us the account. It's just a, no. we really liked having you here, man. Like, you see the sadness in the people around him, which yeah. lets us know that at one time, and we know because we see he burns his life, right, when he leaves for Vegas. We see the Polaroid of his family, right. a kid, bike with a kickstand, like these cool little images. They let us know this was once a man who was on his way to being like one of these Hollywood power brokers. Right. He was probably at the dinners with Richard Lewis. Life of the party. Everyone seemed to actually like him. And and their actual just sadness him, not just revulsion at what he is. Right. It's the concept of, you know, it's it's easy to love people until they make it hard and then you can kick them the fuck out. That's not really loving a person. Right. If you can tell these characters have been down this road with him for a while. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no romance to it. Like there's no romance, like just a drunk in an office. Like this is the end of, this is the end of that story. Like not like the cue. You wonder how many days like that there had been. Right. They just tried to give him another chance and they're just at the end of their rope. So now, we're at the end of Ben's rope, which is a, that's his name in the movie. But we're so we're at the end of Nicolas Cage's character's rope, where he burns his life and he goes to Vegas, 
And this is where he meets Elizabeth Shue, who's got a whole yeah. slew of her own fucking problems, by the way. Yeah. There's also this weird undertone of it's weird because because Nicolas Cage's character to me is so fascinating in the opening. Yeah. And it's a really good premise, right? This guy's just I'm going to drink myself to death because I cost myself everything good. Right. We right. see his glamour life has gone down and I'm going to drink myself to death. And I feel like the movie gets a little lost from here. Right. Like once we're on our way to Vegas. Yeah. We never lose the big focus of the movie, which is. Just seeing there's kind of a dual purpose to this movie that I see, right? Which is one is is just how easy it is for us to fall and how hard it is to get back up. Right. But also this there's always something in most of these two characters, not all the characters in the movie, especially. But in these two characters, there is a part of you that that constantly as the audience is thinking they might make it. Yeah. Right. Well, like yeah, it, that's the thing. It's the weird because like we first are introduced to them. Right. And it's it's the exact whatever a meat cute is. This is the opposite. Yeah. This is like a, a fucking meat, almost like sexual assault. Like It's very weird right. and strange because <laughs> the first time they see each other is when he almost hits her at a red light and she flips him off. Right. He sees her later. and He just gets out. and He's like, how much to fuck me? And you're like, <laughs> well, this is not a meat cute. This is not going well, but not even close. She, you know, but says, they, OK, let's go. And then there's. Because we have already seen her. She's already a prostitute. We've seen this working right. for this weird Eastern European guy who's suspicious. Like, this is a weird under thing they added in the movie. He's probably going to get murdered by gangsters. Yeah. So those <laughs> yeah, those guys, that, it's those same dudes who see uh, Ben at the gas station, isn't it? Yeah. And that felt yeah. like one of those scenes they added specifically because you're like, that's going to matter at the end. Ben is going to get his shit together and help everyone. Did out. you know the guy at the the guy with the long hair is the director? He like makes those a director's cameo. Really? Yeah. And he did the music? Wow, this guy, Figgis. Yeah, apparently they literally refused to give him a lot of... Like, like That's why they shot the movie on Super 16, too. Like They did not give him a lot of money to make this movie. So, Well, I but I think that led to a cool choice. And you see this a I lot, especially too. in the Vegas. The kind of like... The toned down quality, per se. Not quality. That's not the right word. But the kind of grit to the movie. Yeah. And then a lot of it is gone handheld. Yeah. It puts you almost in a drunken state as you watch these things that might be too horrific to watch without those buffers. I mean, that's what I love. That's the thing I really love about leaving Las Vegas is it's not a Las Vegas movie. They stay so far off the strip. It's kind of, they they do the best two things, right? Which is they, they kind of give you the realest senses of Los Angeles and Las Vegas, which is seems cool from a plane postcards at night. These are gross places for a yeah. lot of broken people at times. Yeah. Like I mean, in, in L.A., there's this great scene when he's at the bank and ugh. he's got the DT so bad he can barely fucking sign his check. Goes and gets a drink, comes back and he's on his talk boy, right? Like, oh, fucking lick the booze off your tits. And, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. This fuck really your brains weird, out ugh. while all these like moms and, you know, fucking yeah. commuters are sitting behind him in line. <laughs> and in my brain, I'm like. I had that experience in L.A. about 8,000 times. <laughs> like, this is the most relatable L.A. moment in any movie I've ever yes, seen. Yes, it's terrifying when you see yeah. those people in line. No, because you're just... There are so many people in L.A. that are either, like, mentally deranged or, like, the the crushing loss of their dream yeah. has put them right I mean, right honestly, there. <laughs> it's just Ben Sanderson. Like, yeah, like, all those guys... I think that's what's kind of fascinating is 
the dime a dozen of Ben Sanderson is that he has the money capable of drinking himself to death in Las Vegas. There are billions of stories of people like that who do that to themselves by accident most of the time. Like this is the like the premise of the movie is what separates him essentially from like the the dregs of all the idiots who do that anyways. Like that's the most LA story going to Vegas and drinking yourself to death because you've like totally ruined your creative career. Like Yeah. But see that's the that's the part of the movie that I love that premise, but I feel like it gets a little lost in the the tidal wave that is Elizabeth Shue's performance. Right. And the weird thing is is that can't be something that just happened on set, right? Like it's not like she was just blowing Nicolas Cage off his no. game because he's he was a, an amazing actor at the top of his game at this point. Right. Won an no, Oscar for this. He was great. It's written into the script, but the weird thing to me is, I think what we do in the script, right, is that we decide Nicolas Cage has this goal. And so for the rest of the movie, it's just a willy won't he. Right. That's where you turn and you get Elizabeth Shue becomes, she's almost Nicolas Cage from a different point of view. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, also I think... somewhat racing towards the bottom. Uh, a little bit of her life has broken down. She left L.A. and came to Vegas. Right. But there, there's an unusual optimism in her. I don't know if it's even optimism, but her her neediness for something decent is the exact opposite of his. Right. Is he yeah. he doesn't deserve it at all, and she kind of wants to force one good thing into her life. Right. I mean, I think that's what it is, is she see there's some sort of redemption. There's some sort of redemptive quality to this, because I think that the reason, I mean, the main reason I think thematically we have to sort of follow Elizabeth Shue is because there's only one direction that Nicholas Cage's character's arc takes. So there's really no, like we all know where it's going. So what we are doing is watching this movie through Elizabeth Shue's eyes and trying to figure out, like, are they going to, like, pull each other out of the fire together? And that's, this is the weird thing. That's you what could it argue is. That, that neither of these characters actually have an arc in this movie. Oh, no. I Well, I don't like know. Like, Nicolas Cage especially, because we already see him. I mean, this is like the, you know, he took the first step off the ledge, but gravity hasn't sucked him down to the bottom of the noose yet. But he's there. No, I don't think. Right? I think Nicolas Elizabeth Cage's, Shue, Nicolas Cage's she, arc She gets is, lower, but I don't know that. She has necessarily had an arc. She's in a different place, I'm, but I don't know. I would I mean, disagree hers with is, that. Hers is more debatable. Nicholas Cage's I mean, this, arc this is, is the thing, straight right? Down. So when we first this, meet her, she's just prostitute with pimp. At the end, she's kind of broken, battered, alone, and she tried to love and it didn't work. So I mean, in a way, that's somewhat. I don't. It's think the it, smallest arc. I don't think it didn't work though. Like this is the thing, and I think that's the really important and kind of interesting aspect of the movie is her arc is not really that. I don't think because Nicholas cage is clearly, there is no arc. Nicholas cage no. has like, like if it's a, it's a, if it's a chart of like how many drinks Nicholas cage has had versus like how much life he has left. Like it's a straight shot down. Like there's no, right. There's like, that's like a clear, that's a clear line graph of like what's going to happen to Nicholas cage. But I think that you find Elizabeth Shue at a point in her character's life where she is she's doing something to get by. Like she's trying to make her life work as a prostitute. And I don't think mm -hmm. she always meant to be a prostitute. I'm assuming most people who become prostitutes don't 
you know, seek that line of work. Well, she but, went to Los Angeles, presumably to pursue some other career, right. you know, so, acting, what have you. But like, I think about the scenes, like the scenes before she meets Nicolas Cage with Yuri, like, and then even the one immediately after, like that scene immediately after when she comes back from that first night with Nicolas Cage, where she's literally spent the night with the guy. All she has is 250 bucks. And Yuri fucking slaps the shit out of her. And then she like bends herself over and says, cut me. Because apparently Dude. he like, which was really fucked up. Like the really butt, uncomfortable. The butt cut threw me for such a loop. Yeah. Because when she turned over and pulled up her dress and handed him the knife, I was like, what in the name of hell is yeah. about to happen? That's what here? I thought too. I'm like, this is going to be uh, really fucked. But so to so, me, that's wow. where, that's where this thing like, so she sees this. She's our, she feels like she's down in the dregs. Like she has, she's circling the drain. And I think the idea of her trying to be with Ben at first is about her just sort of like bleeding this guy dry. Like this guy's going to be dead anyways. Might as well take all his money. And as she like builds a rapport with him and becomes friendly with him and everything, I think it becomes much more about her seeing herself and Ben and trying to rectify the fact that he wants to do this to himself and then it culminates in that scene with the rice saying, like, I want you to see a doctor like she because the rules are stated very clearly up front where he's like, I don't you ever tell me to stop drinking. And she's like, right. well, don't, don't ever fuck with me about being a prostitute. So that's like their agreement. And she violates the agreement because she sees the redemption in she sees redemption available for herself in a kind of a selfish way in her saving this guy from himself, I think. Right, I have a slightly different version of that is how I kind of see this, right? I think I think that first night when she takes him back and it starts off like a very typical trick, right? Right. Uh, trying the blowjob, this and that. Right. There's a moment when he pulls her back and she's just like, what, you can't do this when you're drunk? And he, he starts off and he's just kind of in this state. And it seems like he is not the Lothario that he mentioned in the first bar, right? That... There's still a part of him that's sad and misses his first wife or this and that. And he kind of pulls her off and he's in a, a lot of emotional turmoil. Right. And she seems to pick up on this. And he has this great moment where he's like, just stay. Yeah. Like You can have the money. You can drink whatever. You, just just stay. Just stay with me. Yeah. And I think there's a moment. And he, he kind of says, like, you know, let's just talk and I'll listen. And I think there's a moment for her when someone just lets her speak her truth. Yeah. Because later in the movie, we there's this thing where we see her talking to a therapist a lot. Yeah. That at the end of the movie, I was like, is there actually a therapist? We never saw the therapist. That was something I I wondered as well. And I don't think there is. I think she's or is literally... this just her talk coaching herself. But so that's yeah. So, OK, so there's this thing where, oh, my God, this guy wants to do this. And as we see later, like her prostitution life is is hard and full of danger. Right. Um, and there's just this guy who's who's vulnerable and innocent. He he starts off as everything that is despicable about her clients, and then you know it kind of takes a nice turn, and and she's at peace enough to even fall asleep, right, with this guy. So there's this moment of respite that then leads back into you know the butt cut scene and this and that. So to me, I think there's this moment of yeah, she's not being judged. She can be herself, speak her truth. Right. Mixed with uh, she sees another person circling the bottom of the drain. Right. And admires his ability to quit, which is, you yeah, know, a bit I, of a taboo thought. Like, uh, I mean, one of the things, like, for those of us who have lost someone to suicide and this, that is the 
how could they do that to me? Right. And I think we lose the important part is, you know, that's their journey, man. And sure. And I think there's a bit of Elizabeth Shue's character that that admires Nicolas Cage's ability to just say, fuck this. Absolutely. Like, how much more can I take? And and as we see through the movie, nothing ever bad happens to Ben the rest of the way. It's kind of this weird. No, he's just gallivanting through getting drunk. I mean, he has like these bad DTs and like he's going to puke and whatever. But yeah, that's self-inflicted. Elizabeth Shue takes the scene. And I, I think Ben is not necessarily she's going to fix him and prove worth to herself. I think no, I think no. she I think she honestly sees this as a chance to force something good. I think she does like the idea of I don't want to come home alone. Like there yeah. will be a guy here. Well, and that's exactly what I mean. And then you realize like there's a reason for that kind of down the road. But I agree with you. I think that there's a lot about there's a lot about like the redemptive nature of love in this movie. I think that's the thing I probably pulled the most from, especially the end is just like, even though terrible things happen and yes, like you find a kindred spirit at the bottom of the drain, like especially when you're circling. Yeah. Like, right. Like this movie could have been called misery loves company. Right. And that's sure. exactly <laughs> what it is. What's interesting though, is like misery loves company. And then misery decides that, you know, Misery decides that company should come with her back up to the top, like float to the surface again. I think that's the kind of interesting thing. And what I really liked about Elizabeth Shue's performance is by the end of the movie, like she did something, she did something with that character that I don't think a lot of other actresses would have found the ability to do, which is make that character someone, make that character someone worth watching and not just like a compatriot in misery, but also like someone who starts out as that starts out that way as like oh i'm also miserable so i'm gonna i'm gonna lock in with this misery but also by like the middle of that movie realizing like there's got to be more than this little bit of misery we've collected together like when they go out to that desert motel like that's the kind of thing where i'm watching the movie and i'm starting to see like oh she's she's trying to kind of figure this out like it's not just she's trying to suss out is this actually something that I want to pursue? Like, is this someone worth spending my time with? Or am I really just going to circle the drain with this guy until he's gone? Like, that's really to me what that little sequence is about is right. It's the turning point for her personally. And that, that sequence has, I mean, this is like three really fascinating images in a row, right? Like we have kind of the fun drunk Nicholas cage, right? He steps in the pool. He's trying to chug his beer underwater. She jumps in with him, right? Right. She's underneath with him. They come back up. And she acts out what he had said in the bank earlier, essentially. Yeah. She's pouring the booze on her tits mm -hmm. and trying to titillate him. And he seems to be into it. But then as they're going to go, he crashes into the table. Right. right. I'm a I'm a prickly pear like that. Yeah. That line. Right. But there's a there's a moment to that visual, which is is fascinating to me, which is. Was he really getting titillated by her, or was it the booze? Right, and I think that's right. Like, like was the it was it the booze on her aspect. body that made her acceptable now for him? Because right, right, it, and that that's a fascinating image. And then the when when he, she's like go go in, and the lady comes out to sweep it up, and she's just like, "Sorry for my boyfriend. We'll clean it up and pay." And she's just like, "We get a lot of screw ups out here. Just beat it. Never come back." Right. This like super rage. So yeah. as Elizabeth Shue thinks maybe she's made a slight breakthrough, right? And there's this moment of like, yeah, maybe this will be okay. 
Yeah. And a, a sober outsider is just like, you guys are. Oh, yeah. Like, I every mean, tragedy we've both seen. Both these people are like on this Romeo and Juliet chorus to just nothingness, which is, right. I mean, that's the point of the movie. I mean, to me, a lot of it rests in this like oblivion between the two of them, which is there's no saving this guy. Like he's made his decision. He's made his deal with the devil in the moonlight. Like there's no way you're going to deter. And again, like that rice scene is the great example, but I also think that is a great turning point. Like visually too. Did you know, this is something I noticed is when she's cooking, she like the whole rest of the movie, she's kind of dressed up like, Oh, it's either a hooker on the job or a hooker kind of off work. Like that scene, she's dressed like almost like a mom, honestly. Like, well, she has almost the like female version of the shirt she bought for Nicolas Cage. That's exactly right? like, what it is. Like she's yeah, like she's dressed down to like it's I super mean, it's, Susie homemaker. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 a homemaker outfit, and she's trying to play house with him, and he won't have it. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And then immediately she changes and she goes out, and then she gets you know gang raped. But like that's that, yeah, no, which uh, was also fucking brutal. There's another scene that we skipped over that I think is probably the perfect summation of the movie. And this is when Ben wakes up on her couch for the first time, right? Oh, God. I mean, this is just like an absolute fucking master class in filmmaking and acting. So he wakes up and there's this huge fucking smile on his face. Mm -hmm. And you realize this might be the first time he's woken up to someone happy to see him in years. Yeah. Right? He wakes up and they do the, you know, there's kind of this back and forth of I love you. And this is when he lays out the rules like you can. I'm not here to force my twisted little black soul on you and my misery. And I I have a goal. You can't ever ask me to stop drinking. Right. Whatever. Then we start. And there's a moment where Nicolas Cage in here. He just fucking sheds the one tear. Yeah. Because you see him in his mind. And this is what I'm talking about. Lost in the cartoonishness are these small moments for Nick Cage. And this is the moment when he's sitting in this girl, this woman's apartment, right? And he's like, he's staring down an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. He still has a big ass wallet full of cash. Right. He could try to make right. He could come out of this and really try with her. Right. And that one tear is just that moment we know. That's the last bit of hope we see from him for the right. entire rest of the movie. I think that's the one. The one tear says it all. And it's the right. I'm so broken and hurt. I can't come back from this. It's, you know, I'll never get over this. And this is just how I, I have to do it. It's he's, he's killing himself by a thousand cuts, right? He wants to feel the pain and misery of this death. So even in this happy moment, we see it, all the light go out. And this is the part I like. This is the part where it got real good. So she hands him the presents, right? The shirt, whatever. Oh yeah. When she hands him the flask, there is a moment of them staring at each other that is so fucking tense. Yeah. Most movies never hit that level of just tension. Right. And it just builds in the frame. And he's, as he says, I guess I found the right girl. And then she's like, we can use that tonight. We cut immediately to Nicolas Cage um, trying to throw her up against the arcade and knocking the guy's coins over. Yeah. This is when he flips the fl- fuck out at blackjack table. Right. This is when he knows... Or as on a subconscious drunk level is like, I have to fucking scare this woman away from me as much as possible. Right. And he spends almost the entire rest of the movie trying to 
be terrible to her. Well, he succeeds in a lot of ways. I mean, that's well, right. It's like that. It's the bar fight. So he scares her that he's in a bar fight. He brings home the other hooker. Yeah. Which bar is fight. just soul. That is one of the most soul crushing moments. Yeah. Oh, no. When he brings home the other hooker. Also, and then there's also even the it's moment Mariska the Hargitay. So, when he kind of like goes in on her, right? They have like a cute moment in the mall. Yeah. Where he's like going up the escalator and she's walking. It's like, oh, okay. It's kind of okay, man. And then he, you can tell he's upset about her being a hooker again. Yeah. Well, he buys he's, her, he buys her like those earrings. Back down. And it's yeah. almost a sweet moment. And then he like brings her. He's like, maybe you can wear him to work tonight. Like, you know, he's doing it almost in kind. But then there's just that hint of malice of like, it's not a matter of reminding her she, who she is. It's almost just, it's an, it's a, it's another cut. It's another cut in the thousands of cuts he takes in this movie to like well, ward yeah. this person who cares for him off. Well, it, there desperately seems to be a bit of him that's like, what the fuck is wrong with you for accepting me right, how I right. am? And I think the flask solidifies that. And that's when his behavior really spirals with her. Right. Because now he's what, what is wrong with you? Like, I'm done. I've yeah. checked out. Like, it's over for me. This is going to get really bad. Why are you here? So while on just a basic level, I'm sure he wants her and the warmth and the companionship. Sure. He he knows and he's a bit repulsed, right? Because everyone he loved left because of the way he behaves. Right. So for her to want to stay on some level, he has to be judging the shit out of her. Totally. I think that. Yeah. And then this whole movie culminates in that last scene, too. Like, I think obviously because it's the last scene of the movie, but. I also I also feel like it's sort of it's not even a dead to rights thing. It's different because there's no alcohol involved for one. Nicolas Cage is on death's door. He's like laying in he's laying no, in bed. No, he do, he does drink the vodka once. That's true. He takes a sip. But I but she kind of takes it away before he finishes maybe. Yeah. But there's he's that in the throws. It's this last like He's dead to rights. Like, there's no way he's coming back. Like, she knows it. He knows it. Right. And it's the only time they have sex in the movie. And it's yeah, this, like... That, that was an unusual series of decisions for this story. Because, uh, one, you... It's it's unusual that he called her. Oh, I don't you think know, he I called her. No, because remember, that she couldn't find him at the, the whole you're in hotel. Right. Right, so she's trying to find him. Her phone rings, and she just starts saying, "Ben, Ben, where are you, Ben?" Oh, Please. I thought she was talking. I th- I heard her ask someone. I heard her the phone ring and her talking to someone else, saying, "Where is where is he?" Well, oh, I mean, okay, even at that, I don't know who would be calling her on his. Behalf, I don't but either. Somehow, he had to have initiated the contact sure. that leads her to him. So there is this kind of extra tragedy to at the end Ben somewhat still realizes this chance he had with her right and on some level he did care for her of course or is this just uh you know well better to not die alone because I'm kind of scared I mean so it's it's an extra sad and tragic moment but for her to come in and this is on the heels of a fucking crushingly brutal yeah um rape scene and then we have to do the rape shower scene. And then she's kicked out of her apartment. Right. Um, this is like a crushing series of defeats for Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. To then come in, and I don't know what that moment, is that moment for his benefit or for hers in a weird way? 
I mean, I feel like thematically it probably works both ways. I mean, I don't really know if it matters to him. To if I'm if I'm being completely no, honest, I mean, his whole his whole journey, right, is that he can't possibly feel anything. Yeah, I, I and feel especially like, in the moment of death. Maybe I feel not. like it has much more to do with her sort of reconciliation with how she feels about him. Like that's really where I think that comes yeah. from. I think ultimately, yeah. especially given the postscript of her at her like therapist office thing. Which ends up being, you know, she admits, like, I, I really, I loved him. Like, I fell in love with this guy who totally brutalized and murdered him. Like, mur- killed himself. But I was in love with someone who was broken because he accepted me for who I was. Like, I think that's really kind of what the movie right. ends up being. Which is why I brought up, you know, this, like, sort of redeeming power of love. Like, no matter yeah. who you are and what you are. Like, if you find someone a like, you know, a like being in the universe... Surely you can find something that makes you feel correct with them. Right. And this this is the weird part is to me it was almost uh her her sexual life had become so terrifying and bad for her, right? Yeah. That for even one moment to be with someone who she felt a true kindred spirit with in any way, um, that might have helped erase some of the trauma she had gone through also in sex, right? So it, right. it was this weird closure in a way. And that, I mean, that's maybe short-sighted. I'm sure that never goes away and you're always traumatized by that. But to me, it felt like a moment for her to just say, I, I can be loved. And the fact that he reached out, like someone, someone, I did matter to someone. Right. right. So at the end of the movie, again, it, to me, it's all about her and has nothing to do with Ben. No. The fact that he called is more a conundrum than anything to me. Right. And I don't think it's one of those like, you know, oh, I just need to write that they're in the same room. I think it's a really interesting decision for him that lets us, the audience, enter that last moments of headspace. Right. For her, though, I, I think it is. And again, this is a while he destroyed himself. And was maybe not nice to her. He was also there for her sometimes. He was. And like even when he was like all fucked up, he did sit down for the rice dinner, even if he couldn't eat. Right. He sat down for the spaghetti dinner, even though he couldn't eat. Right. Um, You know, he did bring back the other prostitute because as he's rolling the dice, we cut to a scene of her with another man. And it showed that he was grappling with that. So he, he did. He acted out. But for the most part, he, towards her, he was definitely the least of her problems. Definitely. Um, And this, I think this is what I got to is where you are is like, in a way, this becomes somewhat optimistic to me that no matter how bad it is and the baggage we carry and what we've come through, um, these two people had a shot. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't hate that they fucked it up and missed their shot. Like, no. I will admit this on my first screening. There is a huge part of me that's like this movie has to end with them coming back together in each other's arms and they're going to, you know, ride off in a fast car into the desert, you know, wind whipping through their hair kind of thing. I thought there would be some kind of redemption. Sure. And and in the end, in a small way, there there is. Yeah, I mean, because the redemption is just Elizabeth Shue not giving up. Right. She's still there. I think we know she'll still keep putting one foot in front of the other. Right. And in a way that's, I mean, that's the win that we all right. have. Every I, I day. think it's a, not as like 
visually romantic as like, you know, driving off into the sunset, wind whipping through your hair. But I think it's the leaving Las Vegas version of that, which is, you know, this like one moment of shared passion between them, even though they Mm -hmm. clearly had a thing for each other. And there was clearly something between them. Like they never culminated that with anything that's anything sexual. So I think for it to be that at the very end, and for her to initiate and for her to, for for her to have gone through what she's gone through and then for her to initiate that saying like I want this to be our last moment together like that's a very powerful thing I think yeah that's I mean that to me was a very interesting decision and for me yeah it's just all about her saying you know I need to take back some control right over you know, the love that I allow myself to feel. And right. so I, I think that's the reward, right? Is that all the bad that had happened, they still, to even have that moment, right? I think there's kind of a greater lesson in that, which is, you know, like I said, I expected the cinematic ending. Right. And not almost none of us get that, man. No. But what we do get is when, when even when things get bad, there's, there's normally something, right? And, you know... A lot of us go through it all the time, right? And, totally. And every now and again, you'll just see something that just, it's a moment. And you're like, this is it, man. Like, in the grand scheme of things, even someone as great as Nicolas Cage will someday be forgotten. Right. You know, the way we've forgotten the great actors of, you know, yesteryear as a collective society. Right. But uh, moments like that exist for all of us. And it might be the only thing that matter in all of our existence, right? I agree. Is, is I, our ability to sit and enjoy a moment, period. Yeah, I think that's so the power. So there's something kind of cool and grandiose in the smallest of gestures. Yeah, it's the power of the movie is the microcosm that is this like fleeting romance between two people. I have two questions that I want to ask you. Yes. Number one, what was your favorite holy shit, that person's famous now cameo in Leaving Las Vegas because there's a fuck ton of them. Yeah, well, I especially love the bar scene where young Danny Houston with, like, huge flowing, uh, (laughs) you know, whipped out Ben Stiller from Dodgeball hair is the bartender. (laughs) Yes, perfectly tufted hair. Love that shit. And then it's also Arlie Emery who's pretty much Ermy. Yeah, Ermy, sorry. He's like, yeah, I'll buy you a drink. Wait, you're a hooker. And he has like righteous Christian rage. Yeah, and it's like, like, I'm a married man. You just buy drinks for women that you are not going to have sex with? You weird creep. Like, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Don't judge her. The one that uh, I. Those are probably. That was probably my favorite because they came directly together. Yes. I enjoyed that one only to be. I'll say this only to be outdone by the first uh, time you meet Elizabeth Shue's character. The fucking puss on French Stewart's face <laughs> as like some guy who's yeah. gonna get laid. Like he's just sitting there like Well Bruh. no, because at first I was like, wait, are they gonna make French Stewart an Eastern European monster? <laughs> I'm like, did they pick the biggest puss in the history of actors and make him like tough European Steven right, Seagal villains? Right, I yeah. would have loved that shit. <laughs> but then after that, you're like, oh, he's just like a serial killer. Like he's weirdly sexually repressed during that show. Yeah, it's super you're like, oh, he's a serial killer for sure. My second question, and this might be a good <laughs> summation of sort of um, kicking us off here with the Caged Month, is as far as Nicolas Cage movies go, now that the, now that you've seen this one, how do you feel this falls? Is this like obviously he won an Oscar for this, but is this mm-hmm. your fav- one of your favorite top five Nicolas Cage movie roles? Uh, no. no, no. For me, 
this is the thing. I, I can appreciate this movie uh, on a craft level. Right. It has some two just absolutely great performances. Right. I think in a lot of other years, Nicolas Cage wouldn't have won for this movie. I think so, too. I, I think there's a it's a great performance, an absolutely great performance. Right. But it's a bit one-tracked at times for me. Mm-hmm. In the little subtle moments, I think always end up shifting to Elizabeth Shue. Yes. Who's just a dramatically better character and such a better performance that it outshines Cage in the end. And that's the thing. I, I don't want to take away Cage by saying, like, I don't think it's the greatest best actor performance No, no, ever. that's not what it is at all. Nicolas Cage dominated this fucking movie. I just don't think the characters is well written as a lot of others right, right? no and totally. i think nicholas cage like the cool thing about cage is i really like him in movies and adaptation where you see him trying to be this normal guy but there are just these more interesting and often outbursts of craziness right like this right. movie reminded me a little bit of something like the weatherman right where it's yeah. a lot of repression and then You know, they cut out to, I'm a prickly pear. Or he's like doing like lines in the bar and getting headbutted. But even those moments didn't feel like the weird places that Cage normally takes me. I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm, it's, I, 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 I completely agree. It's not my, it's not my favorite Nicolas Cage. It definitely doesn't, definitely doesn't bring in my top five. But I also agree that he definitely would not have won any other year. Like, any other year on the side of this, he's looking at up against Tom Hanks and Morgan Freeman the year mm-hmm. prior. And then yeah. the year after that, he's looking at Tom Cruise, Ray Fiennes, Woody Harrelson, and Billy Bob Thornton, and Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey that, Rush. What a year that was. Winning. Yeah. Jeffrey Rush pulling out the fucking, the log shot, the Sarandon is all called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from now on, it'll be called the Sarandon. Like, no. that's... Hey, man, to me, Nicolas Cage is the great guy that I think he's every bit as talented as the most prestigious actors. Absolutely. What I like about Cage is that he doesn't limit himself to award fare. Like, Nicolas Cage will take any fucking crazy movie. And that leads us to have, because that's the thing, he has this insane bio of movies, right? Yeah. You're like, there's a world where he could have just been Michael Madsen. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But the fact that he can hit the heights... With something like Leaving Las Vegas. And to me, Leaving Las Vegas just as a movie is not my favorite kind of movie, right? Right. Really good characters, really good performance, but kind of narratively and just on a filmmaking level, I don't find it super interesting. No, I agree. And and without a little bit more redemption, I don't know that I'll ever need to find my way back to this, right? Like, No. I- if anything, it'll be to come back to watch Elizabeth Shue and be like, fuck, man, what a role. Right. Uh, but if I'm looking for Cage, I'm, I'm I'm going a little more out there, Cage for me. What's interesting um, is, this yeah, w- it's it's fun to see the movie that he did that got him that the biggest accolade, right? Right. Well, what's interesting is this is the movie he did right before he became, right before he hit that period of his career where he was just the action hero for some reason. Yes. Like yes. th- it was this movie, and then it was The Rock, Con Air, you know, uh, Face Off, Gone in sixty seconds, Face Off. Like he went for it after this, which is what's really interesting because again, this is a little bit earlier in his. This is nineteen ninety six, so it's at the very end of the early part of his career. The Rock, had, holy shit, The Rock, yeah, The Rock, Con one. Air, Face Off, like all these movies that were really explosive, so to speak, hits, like. 
this is the movie that seems to, like it's interesting. Uh, City of Angels. Oh yeah, like but Snake Eyes, Eight Mil. This guy was killing it. But that's what's interesting is like it's fascinating after actors like after actors win Oscars. It's fun to see like sort of what they spend their Oscar capital on because. Once you become best yeah. actor, you have a year of just like people throwing scripts at you, begging you because you're a bankable, you're a bankable star. And what's well, no, really, it's yeah, it's funny because you see him like you say start like all these big action kind of blockbusters, right? Right. And then he goes back and he's like, "Oh wait, I need to win awards." So in right. 2001, it's Captain Corelli's Mandolin, Wind Talkers adaptation. Adaptation, and then Matchstick Men is kind of like a tweener. Yeah. Then he's back to, you know, National Treasure. Right. And then this is where we start the kind of, the the sliding back of Weird <laughs> Cage, right? Like, the Weatherman was good. I like the Weatherman. I like the Weatherman. Then Man. we're in, like, you know, World so- Trade, Wicker Man next. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Ghost Rider. Bangkok Dangerous. Bangkok no, Dangerous. You're like, wow. So he really went from, like, he he became the big action guy. Yeah. After, probably after leaving Las Vegas, he's like, "Damn, this is boring." Or like, "This is hard to do," and they didn't let me actually drink booze. Well, that's what I I wondered how many of those shots. I'm like, Nicholas Cage seems like the kind of guy that's like, "I'm chugging that little bottle of scotch." Well, I did I did do some research and like, there's a lot. I mean, he did as he put it. He was interviewed and he was like, "It's the most fun I've ever had researching a character because he actually did <laughs> apparently." He did two weeks of binge drinking to see kind of like he had two weeks of binge drinking and videotaped himself. Drunk. And then he got the call and found out he got the role. <laughs> so he did a month. <laughs> yeah, like that's what's interesting, though, is like you see what actors sort of spend their Oscar capital on. And what's fascinating yeah. is the path that Nicolas Cage chose. And not a lot of actors would do this, but they decide he decided I'm going to go be a fucking huge action star. And it's really fascinating because then when you think about it. Nicolas Cage carries the 90s action workload, really, when you like when you're really looking yeah. at it. He's well, it's like him and 90s. Keanu pops up and Yeah. yeah. He him, no, Keanu so and Michael Bay though, right? become like the reason people go to the movies again. Right. There's this divert yeah, because you see guys like Will Smith who gets nominated and he's like, That's it. Now I'm just biopicking and right. crying in a bathtub with jellyfish. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Uh, even Tom Hanks, right, is like, pretty much I do Spielberg's period pieces and, like, occasionally movies your mom will love the most. <laughs> and Nick Cage is just like, fuck that. I'm switching yeah. faces with Travolta. <laughs> I'm going to take another actor's entire legacy. Well, when was, when was, uh, was it, when it was after, um, the, uh, Batman, Batman Returns came out in, what, 92? Yes, so. I think so he would have just been... They would have just shut down production on that Superman movie. Yeah. Wow. So when you think about it, he was about to be Superman, and then he's like, fuck, we're not making this Superman movie anymore. I'm gonna Started have to drinking, and they're like, you're perfect for leaving Los Dude, Vegas. it's kind of eerie. That's sort of how it links up. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. I never no, even thought I, about that. Yeah. I I think this is a, a really good movie. It's not going to be for everyone. It's not the kind of movie you can turn on all the time. No. Um, but man, those two performances in tandem are absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. And, uh, now we got, I mean, you can't do Nicolas Cage without doing the Oscar movie, man. You can't not very many actors have won best actor. Yes. 
So, but I think it's like Nick Cage, Tom Hanks, Daniel Day Lewis has like thirty five of them. Denzel, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's like the fact that he reached the pinnacle. You got to do that. It's yeah. not the most fun movie, but I think the audience that watches it, I think I I personally like these jer- these like kind of smaller journeys into self. Yeah. Um, especially with people really dealing with it at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, I personally like this, and I still found it very rough. I'll say this: so if you're not gonna... not many movies take you take you down there and just never let you up for air. Right. If you're listening to this pod before you've watched this movie, watch this movie once because you will not be able to watch it again. But really dedicate time to watching this movie and then putting it away and saying, "Great, I saw that. I can speak intelligently on it. I never have to talk about it again." Yeah. What's funny is I actually have the script for this. And after I finished it, I was reading the script. It's been on my shelf of like things to read forever. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to read the script now. Right. It is really a fascinating script. And the fact that it ended up with Nicolas Cage, I don't imagine he could have been the first choice. Yeah. It's it's so fun to see where it went from page to screen. So that's another fun thing you can do. Interesting. Well, hell uh, yeah. That's it, guys. We're getting caged this month. Uh, next up, Raising Arizona. Oh, so much fun. I mean, this this is... Raising Arizona, to me, is almost peak cage. Because it's a little bit cage in like a Gene Wilder type role, which I For think sure. is fun. So we'll dive into Raising Arizona. We got a lot of other fun stuff. Uh, Mandy and Raising Arizona will be the next two you hear from us. Go to the theaters this weekend to see Mandy if you can. Um, I have recently found some really good movies on demand that I'm hoping to bring to you guys. We have some guests. We're loading up uh, for Halloween delights. Um, It's a good time to be with us, Alchemist. So share with a friend. Bring them in. Watch these movies with your buddies. Tell them about the show, guys. Please take a moment, moment if you haven't. Rate and review the show wherever you find us. It helps a ton. We know millions of you are listening. Where's our reviews? I know none of you guys are drowning in booze in Vegas. You guys are listening to pods, driving to work. So don't even try in front. Yeah, and to be fair, Nicholas Cage still got up and ran errands. He went and got groceries. Yeah, he he sold a watch. Groceries. He even got sold to a his bar. Car. That's paperwork. He That's went, paperwork. He went and got groceries after he got punched in the face at a bar. So you guys have no excuse. Yeah, you guys are simply slacking. <laughs> I hope you're better than this in your day-to-day life. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week with more The Pod Gets Caged.